Well, good afternoon, everybody. Can you get the hang of this? This is good, I like this. Um, well, uh, welcome again to Rotherham Evangelical Church. Uh, and uh, just praying that you have had a good day so far. I don't know how many of you are into this stuff, but have you, have you been following the William Shakespeare um, 400th anniversary of him? Is it dying? Oh, he's dying? His birthday as well, was it as well? Um, yeah, uh, I think I'm probably one of the few English literature students who never had to study Shakespeare for my O-level. Hands up, who had to study Shakespeare when you were at school? Yeah, you see? See, I, I, for us it was, uh, I think it was Pygmalion or something we did instead. Um, and and I keep saying to myself, you know, I really should read some Shakespeare sometime, and then I find something more attractive to do, like varnishing a fence or something. And, and, and you know, before we know where it is, it's gone. And what can I say? You can tell what I think of Shakespeare from that guy. I'm a I'm a philistine. I don't care. Um, but, but his quotes are all over the place, aren't they? He, apparently, he's introduced hundreds of words to the English language, and many uh, phrases that are, that we now use. And many famous quotes, of course, to be or not to be. That is the apiarist choice. Uh, or or uh, very famously uh, from, uh, how about this one? Uh, once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. Or close up the wall with our English dead. Hmm. Uh, I think I would have been halfway home at that point, to be honest with you. But and then and there's other leaders say similar things, you know... Uh, uh, here's a good rallying cry. This is a good day to die. Follow me. That was Sitting Bull, uh, the uh, the Battle of the Little Red, uh, the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Excuse me, 25th of January 1876. Anyone who's interested? Or well, how about this one? And I've, I've edited a couple of words out here. Uh, or, or come on, do you want to live forever? from First Sergeant Daniel Daly of the 73rd Machine Gun Company to his men in his company prior to charging the Germans during the Battle of Bewley Wood. Um, is it me or, or all these leaders saying, follow me, we'll all die together? Um, you know, someone who's leading me, not sure that's really where I want to be heading. In fact, I'm surprised they were so popular. Um, But today we're going to look at someone else who said, follow me. Um, We're continuing in our series uh, called Kingdom. You can see there on the the logo, Kingdom, in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, And so let me just read for you our passage today. This is from Matthew chapter 4. If you do have your Bible with you, Uh, uh, excuse me if you do have your church bible it'll be on page 968 and we start reading in verse 12 this is 968 Matthew chapter 4 verse 12 when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison he returned to Galilee leaving Nazareth he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness 
have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with his father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the very word of God. It is what you want us to know. Lord, will you open our eyes and our hearts today to what you have for us. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit that you would uh, clearly show for us what it is you want us to know. Lord, help me to be in the background. Nobody needs to hear from me, Lord. We only want to hear from you. We want to hear the very word of God. Amen. Amen. So uh, Jesus' time in preparing his ministry is over. And we can see now he's getting into the the action. Uh, And we're going to really think about those, those two words. Follow and me. Uh, We're going to look at those two, but first of all, we are going to talk about, and we need to talk about, the light. So we're going to think about the light, think about follow, we're going to think about me. What's going on here? Well, as you're reading this part of Matthew, uh, it sounds like he's he's just walked straight out of the desert into Galilee. Uh, Jai finished up last week in verse 11 where uh, the devil and the angels came and attended to Jesus after being tempted in the in the desert. Uh, in actual fact, when you read the other Gospels, it looks like there might be as much as a year in between these, these two verses. Uh, Matthew, who is the, the author of this Gospel, just cuts, at this point, straight to the chase uh, with this scene. Possibly because Capernaum was his hometown, and so he wants to get to the action in terms of his hometown, where he is. Uh, if you were here when Ian was talking about John the Baptist a couple of weeks ago, you know that John had been stirring things up, saying that after 400 years of waiting, the Messiah was coming. The chosen one of Israel was coming, and the people should repent and get ready. However, we can see there in, in verse 12, Jesus hears that, that John has been locked up, he's been arrested. And so Jesus leaves the area where that was happening, uh, near to Jerusalem, uh, leaves the area where the civil and religious leaders were, because he, he maybe, you know, they've, they've arrested John, and he heads up to Galilee, an area he knew very well. He grew up there. He was brought up in Nazareth with Joseph and Mary. Nazareth is in Galilee. Uh, but he goes, he doesn't go to Nazareth, which is his hometown. He goes to Capernaum, 
Capernaum, place on the shore, on the Lake of Galilee, a place where, which has got very good transport links, a place where you can get around all of Galilee very easily. Um, and you can see there, from this time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom heaven, kingdom of heaven is near. And Matthew quotes this, this section here, verses 15 and 16. That's a quote from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, in chapter 9. Matthew's readers will be familiar with that. They will be familiar with that passage. And Matthew points out that, yeah, this, this location of, of Galilee and what would be happening in Galilee had been predicted almost 600 years before the time. Um, the people in Galilee are described there as having seen a great light. They have been living in the shadow. They've been living in darkness. And so the, the passage that Louise read for us there from the, from the Gospel of John, the beginning of the Gospel of John, talks about the light coming amongst us and how Jesus is the light who has come amongst us. Uh, Jesus himself tells us he is the light of the world in, in John chapter 8. Uh, and we sing about that, don't we? We just sang, uh, light of the world, you step down into darkness. That's this, this passage here. Uh, or, or the other song we sang there, I once was lost in darkest night. Uh, we were once lost in darkest night, the people in Galilee are lost in dark, darkest night. Um, how so? How are we living in the light? How are we living in darkness? Excuse me. Well, uh, our lives are darkness because of sin, because of our rebellion against God. The things that we do that we shouldn't do, or the things that we don't know, don't do and we should and we know it uh, we know if we are being honest with ourselves that too often in our hearts we our motivations are wrong the things we do are wrong and so we are living in sin which the bible calls darkness we are rebels to god um, and I'm not sure what your experience is of, of living in sin or even if you think of your life in that way uh, when you do things wrong. But when, when I do something wrong, I, ha- I have no peace. I have no peace in, in my heart. Um, I, I have no peace with myself. I have no peace with other people. I feel like I have no peace with God. Um, but my sin is trying to persuade me. My sin is talking all the time. It's saying things like, it's saying things like, I've been good for you, haven't I? I mean, I've been, I've been good for you. Uh, I've been a friend to you, haven't I? I've been your mate. I'm I'm your buddy. I'm your best buddy. Uh, I brought you pleasure. Why do you want to leave me? If you leave me, it won't bring you any joy, you know. It won't make you happy. Uh, You've got too much to give up by leaving me. And moving into the light is going to just delay the pleasure and the joy that belongs to you. It's going to delay it forever. Don't leave. I'm your buddy. 
You have too much to lose by giving me up. Sin is a liar. Sin is a liar and it is well practiced at whispering those things to us. Just giving our heart and telling us, no, stay with me, you're good. He talks to us all the time. It is well practiced and it is not the truth. And so when we sin, we are, we are in darkness. We live in darkness. But for some people, that might feel differently. For some people, it feels a, sometimes they feel in darkness because they have no hope. They, they have a, a lack of um, any sense of where the future might be that, that they are, uh, perhaps they've trusted in people or in things that have, have let, let them down. Trusted in things that, that don't satisfy. And sometimes we have trusted in people or things who have hurt us, haven't we? Uh, and we feel that, that, that we're not sure what the, the future holds and we're not sure where to put our trust. We're not sure what to hope in anymore. And so we find ourselves in, in darkness. We find ourselves in a state of, of darkness. Sometimes we will find ourselves in a state of emotional Darkness. Perhaps we look inwardly and we become uh, uh, bombarded externally and we have these thoughts going around in our mind and they are very, sometimes very dark thoughts. The world presses in on us and we don't know how to respond, we don't know how to feel, or, we don't, or we're afraid of how we feel. Sometimes we are, we are living in emotional darkness. Sometimes we find ourselves... Uh, in darkness because we are content with the tiny amount that we have. We are prepared to settle for the darkness because we don't know the light. C.S. Lewis famously said, and this is the reference to content in the mud, I'm not talking about hippopotamuses here. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. It would seem that our Lord, that is Jesus, finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seaside. We are sometimes far too easily pleased with the darkness and so we live in the darkness and we accept it. Dear friends, do not be blinded by the darkness. That is an unusual phrase, isn't it? Do not be blinded by the darkness. Do not be fooled by the darkness. Turn away from it to the light. There can be no true peace. There is no true relationship with God when you are living in the darkness. And before the coming of Jesus, then, people are living in, in darkness, but... Verse 16 there, a light has dawned. 
had dawned a new beginning. Something new has happened here. The light has come and that light is Jesus. And so Jesus comes into the world and he is light. As Louise was reading for us a moment ago. A moment ago. He is light because of who he is. He's light because he what he does. Jesus is the opposite to sin. He lived a perfect life. He died for us. In fact, he paid the price for our sin. So we don't have to pay that price, because we can't anyway. He died to put our sin to death, so that we no longer have to listen to its lies. Jesus is the light because he offers real hope. He offers real hope to us. We can trust in him. We can trust in this son of God. Why? Because he selflessly died for us. There's no other motivation. We were on his mind when he died. Only us. That's why we can trust him. We can have confidence in him because because he rose from the dead. We're never going to find his grave because he isn't there. Nobody else. Nobody else is safe hands for our faith other than Jesus. If only we put our faith in him. And Jesus is light because his his love is faithful and true and constant. When we are buried in the deepest pit of our life, at the very bottom of the worst place in our life, we find the love of Jesus there. We don't deserve it, but that love is pure and it shows us how much we are loved. Because we are indeed truly loved. And Jesus is light because he offers us a real alternative to the darkness. He offers us something which may challenge us, yes, and stir us up sometimes. But he offers us an existence we could not have imagined. It's often not easy, but infinitely worth it. It's a trip to the seaside instead of playing in the slums. It is a new and a better perspective. It's his perspective. His perspective, a a life in the light, is what Jesus offers. It's a blessed life, as we're going to start thinking about next week. This is what he says to us. This is what he says to these four men in this passage here. When he's saying, follow me. And so it is light that Jesus is offering to these four guys. It is light and not darkness. And they were asked to follow So let's look at that word, follow. Let's just take a diversion for a moment. Though, Who who was doing this following? What were these people following? Well, four four men, talked about here. Uh, Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, James, and John. Uh, Looks like we can tell what they did for a living. They were fishermen. It appears that that was their profession. Uh, When you read further in the Bible, you can actually find four lists 
of the apostles, as to, as to the, the twelve apostles who followed, followed Jesus. These four are always the first four who are mentioned. These four are always the first four who are there. And Peter is always mentioned first in all of those lists. Uh, and these, these men seem to have been the ones who were there in Jesus' most intimate moments. If ever there's only a few disciples around, it's some of these four. Usually three of them, actually. Usually Peter, James and John. Uh, some of the most astonishing events, some of the most spectacular events in the Gospel are, are witnessed by, by, by those, those three guys from this group of four. Um, and it looks like, from when we read in the Gospel of John, it looks like certainly Andrew and Peter, and, and possibly either James or John, had actually been disciples of John the Baptist. And had seen Jesus at his baptism. And from that time, they start associating with Jesus. So hanging around with him a bit. So they may not have been coming to him straight away fresh at this point. It's not just the strangers walk past and go, follow him. It sounds like they knew him, they knew of his ministry. Uh, but they're not his disciples, they're not following him. Disciple means a follower, a, 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 someone who's being taught. Um, and so yeah so, so what do we know about them very briefly well Simon sometimes called Peter um, and we know he was married because it talks about his mother-in-law at one point we know he was the co-owner of a fishing boat so a bit of a businessman in that way uh, John MacArthur describes him as having a lovely expression a foot-shaped mouth uh, as in, he was a guy who often just blurted out something and put his foot in his mouth. Um, and he was so he was impulsive. He was impulsive. He was a leader. He was someone who you know went out there. Very different to his brother Andrew, though. Very different to his brother Andrew. Whenever we see Andrew talked about in the Bible, it looks like he's in the background. It looks like he's more he's more of a one-on-one guy. He's not making the big speeches. What he what he does seem to do, what you do seem to do, is bringing people to Jesus, saying, "You know, this is my mate. Meet Jesus." Great example of, of personally meeting people where they were, and then bringing them to Jesus. In fact, he did that for for his brother Simon. Uh, he seemed to have a great desire to do to, to meet with people one on one. They've got James, the son of Zebedee. No magic roundabout comments, please. Uh, James, the son, uh, James, son of Zebedee, brother of John, again, fisherman with his dad. Uh, these two brothers were known elsewhere in the Bible as the sons of thunder. Okay? Now, if that isn't a, if that isn't a title from a Marvel comic, I don't know what is. Sons of thunder. Da, da, da. You know, the, you've got the, you know, these guys are out there. They're boisterous. Uh, they've got a lot of stuff going on, quite opinionated perhaps. And James, the, the, one of the two brothers, James, is the first of the apostles to be killed for his faith. In Acts chapter 12, we read how James was killed by the sword, put to death in the early church history, very early on. Uh, in fact, early church tradition says, 
All four of these men are going to men died. Excuse me, three of these men died in violent ways. James was the first. It's only John who seems to live into an old age. Uh, and talking of John, we have John the son of Zebedee, uh, described in the Bible as the disciple who Jesus loved. And uh, seems to have had a very close relationship with Jesus. Like his brother, yeah, pretty arrogant at the time, asking Jesus who's going to be the, the greatest in the kingdom of God. And yet he seemed to have got over that sort of arrogance and became a, a humble servant, writing large chunks of the, the New Testament for us and living a relatively long time, um, being a leader in the early church. But these men, although they might have become leaders and, and teachers and preachers, um, they were not great leaders at this point. They're blokes doing some fishing. They're just ordinary people. People like you or me. But through the action of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they did become, over time, things that they were not yet. Leaders, preachers, academics, theologians. That's really important because we have to understand that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Okay? Say that again. So God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If we were to set up a church, if we were to start from scratch and say, okay, how are we going to set up this church? We'd say, okay, we need some great speakers. We need some people like uh, management consultants, accountants, woo-hoo. Uh, uh, people with lots of charisma. Uh, so that wouldn't be the accountants. Uh, the the state people with status, people with money, you know, that's who we want. Folks with learning, lots of degrees, experience, leading organisations. But when the church grew, they could on one level be saying, yeah, that's because we're great. That's because we're really good, you know. That's why God uses ordinary, mixed up, imperfect, broken people. That way, he's the one who makes it all happen. He's the one who we give the glory to, not the other people in the church, and certainly not its leaders. Ordinary are just the kind of people God uses, which is actually really fortunate, because that's the only kind of raw material he's got to work with anyway. So it's really good, because if you tried to work with anyone else, there wouldn't be anyone else, so there wouldn't be a church. And for these four men, for these four men who Jesus goes to and says, follow me, also, this is no longer a mere association. Now, the English language is quite quite clumsy here, unfortunately. Uh, it's much better in the Greek, where it's clear that this is a command to be followed. This is, it's not even a command, this is, this is a, this is a, follow me, come on, now kind of thing. This is not this is not anything else. So this is not a, this is not a, a polite uh, polite love follow me. Follow me sir, your table is ready. Uh, kind of thing that you get a, in a in a restaurant or something like that is not that kind of follow me. It is a very strong suggestion, a very strong command, excuse me. It's not a suggestion. It's not hey, follow me down to Mackie D's. Uh, Sam's serving down there. He can give us a big Mac and we'll go and hang out with him. It's not that kind of follow me. This is 
follow me. Follow the light. Now, and I suspect, rather like Nick's comment, opening comments, at this point I suspect I'm going to address my next comments mostly to the ladies in the congregation. But have any of you ever tried to call a man in when he's fishing? Have any of you ever had the experience where a man is out fishing somewhere and you have tried to persuade him to stop fishing? Well, if you ever just tried to persuade him to stop fishing, but if you ever tried to persuade him to stop fishing and come and do something else? Um, I think the expression is good luck with that. I think as we go. I know one family, uh, the whole family actually were very focused on fishing. They enjoyed fishing a lot. They were actually uh, fishing in the sea. Uh, one of their number fell very seasick. Uh, you know, as you do sometimes, you see. I get seasick. And now, now, what do you do as a responsible family? You know, at that point, do you not think, oh, poor lad, feeling a bit seasick, let's go back in. And we'll drop him off. No. They're far too busy fishing. They are far too much into catching fish and having a good time. So, So what did this poor guy do? Basically what he did was he jumped over the side and he swam back to land. Because he knew that there was no way his family were coming in for another eight hours. So he just, and it wasn't a short distance either, but he just thought... I just can't do this. So he jumps over the side of the boat and swims off. Back to land. He did make it, um, just if you were worried. And, and such was the level of sympathy the family had for him in his predicament, they threw a can of pop to him as he was going. You know, just so he had a, he'd have a drink on the way. He was like, yeah. uh, he's still slightly scarred by the, by the story. Um, and so you look at these men and how they responded, and and it seems even more surprising when you think about that. You know, uh, it strikes us as reckless, you know, leaving everything, or foolhardy. Uh, you know, did, did, are these men like uh, totally fanatical or just really trusting? I'm not totally sure where their heads were at this point. They've been associated with Jesus for a while, as I say, so it wasn't something totally new. Um, But notice, he chooses them. He goes to them and says, follow me. And God had prepared their hearts in some way, in some way we we don't quite know where their hearts were. Uh, Certainly they've heard some of Jesus' teaching before. And in some way, they're now ready to go, yes, let's go. They literally drop what they're doing, leave their nets, leave Zebedee in the boat. I know what he's thinking, you know, he's there, he's mending the nets, whatever. Here's somebody say something behind, behind him, turns around and he's like, what? Where, where, they, where have they just gone? We're mending, we're mending, we're mending net. Hey lads, we're mending nets. They're gone. They're off. So I don't know what he was thinking about it all. Uh, they leave their families, they leave their homes, and they start travelling with this man, this man Jesus. 
One writer points out uh, four traits that these men seem to show. Let me just run you through these. I think this is very helpful. Four traits that these men seem to show. One is joyful dependence. Uh, we've already said Jesus picks them. He, he uh, God has prepared them. God has sustained them to this point and he's going to continue to do that. Now, as Jesus, uh, as he says there, he uh, preaches and teaches and heals as he goes around. He's also mentoring and training them. And they, uh, we, we see from this and for, for other parts of the, other parts of the Bible depend on him. They follow his, his every word, his every mood, and they do it uh, willingly, joyfully even. Uh, also, there is a, a faithful adherence. Adherence, big word. What we mean is these guys were committed to Jesus at this point. They're not shilly-shallying around. They're not trying to, to do something else. They're saying, yes, I'm nailing my colours to the mast. I'm following you know, if, you, if you're jumping up instantly and following someone, you are you are certainly doing that. Uh, they seem to be very committed. Uh, they're also committed to afterwards to uh, learning and, and following, even though some of the lessons came very hard to the disciples. They generally persevered, even though they didn't always get it. They cleaved to him. They said, "Yes, no more messing around. We're following this guy." This is the man. They also had uh, total trust. Who would you trust your life to? Who are you actually going to follow? Who, you know, if someone was to say to you, follow me, and you jump up instantly, um, you really are trusting them. Who do you trust when you go on holiday? Yeah, if you're, if you're going on holiday, if you're going on holiday, who do you leave the keys with to your house? Who do you say, you know, walk the dog, feed the, feed the piranhas, whatever you've got? You know, who do you give that to? You're kind of trusting them with quite a lot. But not everything. Uh, we once had the terrible experience where we were looking after somebody's cats over a bank holiday weekend, and one of the cats vanished. So we were feeding them every day, you know, cats, I mean, cats are a bit, you know, do what they want to do. It's not like a dog, you know, they just come and go. So, we, you know, put the cat down, uh, put the, put the, put the cat down, put the, that wasn't good. We did not put the cat down. We, although I felt like it, we, we put the food down, thank you, for the cat, and didn't turn up for a day. Oh, well, it's a cat, don't worry. You know, doesn't turn up for the second day, we're like, yeah. Have we, uh, have we lost somebody who we shouldn't have? And we were walking all over the neighbourhood shouting the name of this cat. This is where you're glad that your pet has a sensible name. You know, cause, so just a hint from Ian, when you're naming your pet, remember you've got to shout it outside. Okay? Just a warning. So we're walking around shouting Molly. Molly was the name of this cat. Molly, Molly, Molly. Shouting all over, all over. No sign of Molly. For, for well over a day, we were walking around shouting the name of this cat and it was a bank holiday and Monday afternoon, I look up at this shed and on the roof of this shed is Molly. Just looking at me. Just looking at me, shouting Molly as I was walking around, like some kind of idiot. And I'm just like, you know, if only they could talk. Yeah, where have you been? And she's just like, 
So I thought we were in a lot of trouble, but we weren't. So, so who do you trust with? Who, do you, who are you going to trust? These, these four men have put their trust squarely on Jesus and nowhere else. They also obeyed immediately, urgently. Jesus gave a command, they obeyed. He said, follow me, they followed him. They didn't finish what they were doing. They didn't go and sort their lives out first. They didn't say, oh, I'll come back when I've just become a better person. They didn't say, oh, I just need to, I just need to uh, go give my keys to the neighbour, let them look after the cat. Um, they just went and they, they left. And he said, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you disciples. And Satan will tempt us, won't he? The devil will tempt us and say things like, you're useless to the church, you know. You're no use to the church, you're no use to God. You don't fit in. You're not clever enough, you're the, you're the wrong class, you're, you're, you don't have enough money, you've got too much money. Don't go there. Just stay at home, you'll be alright. Watch the football. Don't invest your life with them. They won't want to invest your life with you. Just, just stay at home, it's easier. Don't spend time with them. They'll get to know you. They'll get to know things about you. Maybe they, you don't want them to know. Don't go. Just stay where you are. You're okay. What a liar he is. What a liar is Satan. This is what the Bible says in First Corinthians. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It pleases God to work through us. No, we're not worthy of following him, but that's not the point. Again, we sang that song, the strength to follow your commands, that command to follow me. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. He gives us the strength. He picks us, he strengthens us. We do it in his strength, not our own. Because we can do it in our own strength, by the way. It's all about him. So everyone doesn't say, yay, to us. Everyone says, yay, to Jesus. What about that guy, Jesus? Follow. So we talked about light. And we talked about follow. And now me. The important clarification there. Me as in Jesus. Not me as in me. So the light and follow. And now me. And this is really important. And you could really have missed this. When we hear that, follow me. I don't know about you, but but it stirs up anxiety in me, perhaps. Or well, that seems a bit scary. It's a bit kind of sold out for Jesus. Uh, a bit radical. Maybe even inconvenient. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. And when you think of earthly leaders, those are good emotions. Yeah, when Henry V says we're going to... Uh, fill the gap with our English dead. Yeah, you're right on the money. Be very anxious about that. Uh, if if it is a, a politician, 
or a sports captain or a business leader saying, yeah, follow me. It's probably right to have some emotions and to feel that way. Um, you know, should we really follow? Should we really do what this person is asking for? There's, there's, there's a balance, you know, there's a balance here, my welfare, what he's saying. I'm not sure whether that really works. Friends, this is not just another great politician or great leader in that way. This is Jesus. This is the very Son of God. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we've already seen a little bit about who Jesus is. We've already seen some of this. We've seen in Matthew chapter 1, we've seen he's our Saviour. We've heard that Jesus is the saviour of the world. We've heard that he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. We heard there that he's fully human. We also saw he was fully divine. That's this man, Jesus, who's asking us to follow him. Uh, He's also, in Matthew chapter 2, we saw that he's sovereign. We saw he was in charge. We saw he's in charge uh, over the wise in terms of the magi, over the meek in terms of the shepherds. Uh, He is... God, and therefore he is in charge, and we are not. In Matthew chapter 3, we can see that he is uh, not only a a, a saviour king, but he's a righteous judge. We see that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that he is beloved by God the Father. This is a man who is uh, totally connected with God perfectly through the Holy Spirit and through the love of God the Father. And even here in chapter 4, earlier, uh, when uh, uh, Ian and Jai were were preaching, uh, we've already seen that Jesus is the new Adam. He's the true Israel. And now we're seeing he's the light of the world, the hope of all people. This is who's commanding you to follow. This man is the one who's commanding you to follow. Not some nutter of a leader or something. This is a quote from David Platt. He's a great preacher. Let me read this to you. Jesus is worthy of far more than church attendance and casual association. We have such a dangerous tendency to reduce Jesus to a poor, puny saviour who is just begging for you and me to accept him into our lives. Jesus doesn't need our acceptance. He is infinitely worthy of all glory in the whole universe and he doesn't need us at all. We need him. He is worthy of total abandonment and supreme adoration. He is worthy of total abandonment and supreme adoration. When we say it's too hard or this is too radical or I'm just not sure or I don't want to or it's inconvenient or whatever word you use when you hear follow me. We're forgetting who it is who's telling us to follow. This is Jesus. This is the son of the most high God. He's the light of the world. This is the king of kings, the lord of lords, the lord of history. He's eternal. He's perfect in righteousness. He's majestic in holiness. He's beloved of the Son, beloved of the Father. He's born to save his people. He's born to save us. 
born to die in our place. He's the only one who's risen eternally from the dead. He's compassionate. He's filled with grace. And now he's standing at the right hand of the Father's throne. All authority, that is all, how much is in the word all? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He is the light of the world. This is the one who has then chooses us. And this is the one who says, follow me. Friends, if you are here and you are not yet a Christian, this is a command that the Son of God is giving to you. Can you feel its pull? Can you feel it it pulling you? As you read the words in this story, I, I don't know where your heart is, If you are not a Christian, your heart is in darkness in one sense or another. We saw some of the ways earlier. I want to plead with you. I want to point you towards Jesus like Andrew did. Follow him. Don't listen to those lies. Don't listen to those lies that that your, your heart and the devil and the world is telling you. Follow him. It isn't always easy, but it is worth it every single bit of your life to follow him. But follow me is also a command that demands a response if you are here and you are a Christian. Are you like these four men? Are you joyfully dependent on him? Depending on yourself? Or are you depending on God? Are you faithfully adherent? Have you nailed your colours to the mast and said yes? I am his and he is Mine. Are you totally trusting him with all the areas of your life? How many of the areas of your life are included in the word all? All the areas of your life. Are you urgently obedient to what he has commanded you? Are you pressing on? Christian, press on. Press closer. Follow this Lord closer. Trust him more. Be excited about where it might take you. Be excited about where it's already taken you. Follow me demands a response from all of us. It can feel hard, it can feel intimidating. And it it, it does. Until we remember who is giving us that command. When we remember who Jesus is and what he's done, then, then in fact, following him is actually the only sensible response. Following him is the only logical response. Which is the only possible response. It is that call when time comes that you will find irresistible. So what happens? What happens? Well, where where does the story go? Well, we we will see as the as we continue to read, and you can see there from from sort of verses twenty three down that these four men uh, they travel throughout the region. With Jesus. He's doing the work his father sent him to do. He's teaching in the synagogues. Healing the sick. His fame spreads. And these men who will become the foundation of the church. These men who are become his apostles. Watch and learn. They're mentored by him. He teaches them. He teaches them by what he says. He also teaches them by example. 
He spends time with them. He mentors them. And then when, when Jesus dies, these men receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives them a command to go and make disciples. And so they do. Urgent obedience. They do. They go and preach and teach and heal. They didn't know they were going to be doing that when they left their fishing boats. They did not know they were going to be doing all that stuff when they cast their nets into the sea. They would have been pretty um, intimidated, I think, if they had known that that is what they were going to do. And so it is the grace of God sometimes that we only learn what we're going to do for him gradually, a bit at a time. That doesn't mean, just because we don't know the, the what we're going to do, it doesn't mean we shouldn't follow. It doesn't mean we shouldn't go. They certainly had no idea the early church would bloom under their leadership. But they followed. And God equipped them with what they needed to do the work. And they also died. As we said, whether it was dying the death of martyrs, as, as many of them did, uh, as far as we know, or, or living a, a long life like John and, and, and dying uh, of old age. They all died. In fact, like the leaders we talked about at the beginning, those who followed Jesus had died, but the difference was that Jesus rose from the dead. The difference was these men will rise from the dead and have eternal life. So when Jesus says, follow me, when he says, follow me to us today, he's not saying, Follow me and die. He's saying, follow me, follow the light, and live forever. Let's pray.